Welcome to ArtsCast Nebraska, a podcast about the creative activities and research of the faculty and alumni of the Hickson Lead College of Fine and Performing Arts at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Chris Marks, Associate Dean of the College, and it's my privilege to share with you these conversations about the fascinating work that our faculty and alumni do in the fine and performing arts. In this episode, I speak with Jesse Fleming, Assistant Professor in Emerging Media Arts. He spoke to me about his interest in mindfulness, perception, virtual reality, and art, and how they all merge in his research and creative activity. Jesse is the founder of the Perceptual Technologies Lab at the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts. I asked him to tell me about that lab and its work. By way of answering, he shared a lot of his own personal history with meditation and art, eventually leading him to UNL and the Carson Center. Well, I moved into New York in 2001. I moved into this big loft in the South Bronx. I was pretty lost then. I had just done a major piece. I had um, driven across country in a black and white police car um, as a performative work, uh, wearing gray uniforms uh, with a, like a co-pilot was a, a video camera. The piece now marks a level of maturity then, and it was to me, in a way, a spiritual work in the sense that I wanted to drive one side to the other uh, invisible. Under this sort of working philosophy I had been developing of making what I was calling neutral art, zero, like zero art, something that stood between binaries. It was intended to span both cop and criminal authority and um, disobedience simultaneously to create a sort of like vibrating uh, camouflage that existed in this in-between place. Mm. That was maybe the best I could do at understanding void then. So there I was in New York and... uh, 9-11 happened a couple months after I arrived. And again, looking back, I I just didn't have the maturity to understand consciously how intense that was. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was pretty lost in my life at that point in certain respects and wound up looking in the neighborhood for things that I could relate to. And one of them was a community center that had classes like photo classes, uh, graffiti class. Um, th- and, and I went over there to see what was going on. And uh, I saw this little uh, flyer with an illustration of a, uh, for a yoga and meditation class with an illustration of a guy sitting under a tree, meditating and looking very serene. And something about it just got me curious. And I got really involved. I went and got very, very deep into this um, space and practicing for, for about a year straight. It seemed to sh- reveal that there was thousands of years of inquiry that was answering some spaces that I had fallen into, predating the cop car piece, but w- through other artworks. I kept my sort of inner exploration life separate from my externalized life of being an artist for a good while. My work, meanwhile, had continued to be kind of exploring ontology, 
like the nature of being. And very much uh, sort of anchored or chiseled into this dichotomy I think we all experience of are we an independent self or are we part of something much bigger than that? And that psychology that bends between those spaces, right, is like kind of determines our state of misery, I would say almost, you know, like New York on the subway with millions of people can be one of the most heart-wrenching experiences. Lonely in a way. Yeah, lonely or ecstatic. (laughs) So was it in L.A. that the the sort of philosophical thinking that you're describing merged with your artwork, or did it happen before that? Well, so I continued to practice meditation uh, through different lineages. And at a certain point, you know, it's so much about the perception of world through the senses. What helped me, I think, in L.A. of coming out (laughs) to the art world of being a meditator (laughs) was um, I started getting involved with UCLA's Mindful Awareness Research Center, which was one of the first mainstream and academic markers of thousands of years of contemplative strategy and technique colliding with and then marrying into the culture of West science and technology as a measurable, repeatable space. and so instead of it being a subjective, it could be objective in the same, in the way that it could be measured through scans like mm-hmm. MRI, et cetera. So I did a show at this art uh, organization called 356 Mission Road and started teaching meditation workshops during the show. I brought in a teacher um, and, um, and I wound up teaching meditation there for two years every Sunday to art communities. So perception, technology, art, and this kind of cross-current exploration. Eventually I went to graduate school the year after I finished a teaching credential from the Mark Center at UCLA again, the Design Media Arts Program, and I was looking for uh, and sort of researching how I could take this concept or strategy for conflating technology, arts, and contemplative practice into a something. I wandered into virtual reality that time. Mm. And I, I really was a, an opposition of VR. I thought it was a real, it, it, just the whole idea of putting something on your face and uh, you know, secluding yourself from the world. But I had some experiences um, sort of like was sharing a virtual space with others and that changed me there. And then I started to recognize that it was this reverse engineering of human perception in order for it to function. Like it it needed to fool the system, our system. It needed to engage with our senses in a way that was as true as our senses perceive this space that we're sharing now as a reality in order for it to be a virtual reality. And so it became like this uh, big moment of um, intrigue and also a cautionary space. 
so in VR and under 10 seconds, your, your whole life of sensory conditioning is, is duped. And I think in that moment, a seed is planted. But the seed is that we may not know what all this stuff is that we've, we think is so solid. Yeah, so here we are and had this incredible opportunity and uh, sort of, you know, support of people that were interested in this sort of philosophy of making work through the senses, using technology and the arts, and um, uh, examining our perception and how that somehow reveals or questions the nature of being, our sense of ontology. So that's what we do. The Perceptual Technologies Lab, what, what do you hope to achieve with it like what you know i don't know say a year from now what makes that a successful venture not that it'll all be done a year from now but you know what's yeah your, what's your uh, hope for it one of the goals right now is to try making efficacious work <laughs> so i'm working on a grant proposal that um, collaborates with the center for brain biology and behavior here the working proposal now is a virtual reality-based mindfulness program that basically trains us to use sense experience as an attentional anchor, which fosters present moment experiencing. So it's using this immersive space of VR and simulation to train us in the way that I've been trained for the last 20 years as a contemplative, to train us to anchor, investigate our, our sensory contact. So the idea is that it's a conditioning space, and then when we get out of the simulation, it, we start to naturally um, attach to this kind of tactile experience of living, it's like it um, proceduralizes this background, background processing due to the exposure of the virtual space, the virtual training simulation. And we're looking at um, using this as an um, a intervention for drug addiction. And then to test it uh, under like an A-B study against other forms of mindfulness training to see how well it's working. I think all art is helpful, but and and this is is wanting to help in a sort of exact way. Um, and so it it rides a line that I think can be and rightly criticized sometimes within the art space of di being didactic mm -hmm. or or efficacy should not exist. Like it should not be a measurement tool of a successful work of art. So I think to me that's a big leap. Um, that is a space I want to at least try. One of your pieces, Jane the Baptist, a video piece, was recently acquired by the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center collection, and that I was struck by the fact that it was acquired by a medical center. Yeah. And I wonder if they, if, if they 
sensed or if you intended a therapeutic value to, to the video? Maybe you could explain what the video is and, and then how it came to be part of that collection. Yeah, that's a great, great question. So <laughs> Cedar sinai they have one of the world's greatest art collections. And this was the first video work ever accepted into the collection. Jane the Baptist is a 13 minute and 37 seconds or something video, which is meant to be played as a seamless loop, infinite, um, as an installed work that is projected uh, large enough that it fills your periphery and the, the, the seating is quite comfortable in the way that it, uh, your body doesn't have to stay active, meaning like a beanbag. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it has a quadraphonic sound, so it, it dopplers around. The content of the work is uh, car washes in the L.A. area, which are sort of like cathedrals. They're very, it's like if you could make a baby from uh, Detroit's auto industry and like factory line with Disneyland and, you know, like Christianity, <laughs> you, you would have the car wash experience in LA, which I think is like, for me, the car wash for many years was always this um, perfect space because it was engaged all the senses. Um, it's also spatial. It's three-dimensional and it's uh, the way it plays out. And your body is kind of by default puts in, engages in sort of a uh, zeroed out space because you're on a track. Right. And they really go all the way, like LED lights and uh, multicolored uh, soaps and skylights and, you know, full on. This is not the car wash experience I'm familiar with. <laughs> yeah. At all. Right. So like LA, um, it has a worship of cars. Right. Yeah. In a way. And it, and it's also a trap. Anyway, so the piece is edited in such a way that it, it goes, it's sort of like jump cuts. Like anytime there's, was going to be a down moment, it pushes forward. And the track is infinite. It goes from one to the other, but since it's always on a track, you're, you're continuously moving. Boom, 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 boom. It is hypnotic. It's sort of endless. People would usually stay for 30 to 45 minutes unknowingly. They didn't know that it had ended. So I got them comfortable. And then I, and then I edited the work to conceal the end. Mm -hmm. And so people stay. And they're, yeah. <laughs> but this is really interesting to me because your description of it also refers to it as, as like a birth canal. Right. So if it never ends, it's like you never get born. You're, you're, you're there. Is that, is that <laughs> intentional? I don't know. I mean, how, how do you relate those things? Yeah. Well, let's see. My, um, we had our first kid during the show. Uh, so that was definitely <laughs> an influencer. It, yeah. yeah. it has its light and its shadow, that work. Kind of the pointer to the shadow is, hey, we can get stuck in the stimulation. That is when you never get born. Mm. And the birth is when you transcend 
through a high level of uh, concentration, sensory clarity, immersion. So it was sort of like playing with this line of duality. I guess it goes back to what I was saying earlier, you know, this um, this capacity for always being in this body and, and going, trying to get comfortable and figure things out. And that can get us into all kinds of trouble. So is the, is the viewer of this piece supposed to find a way out of that? I, I think this is the good side of art, which doesn't try to push one's experience. That is the paranoia of efficacy, maybe. Like, that's where maybe it comes from, is saying, like, not forcing an outcome, rather encrypting multiplicity, multiple passages, multiple insights, multiple translations, different levels of meaning. Inevitably, everyone leaves <laughs> the, mm -hmm. the show. Mm -hmm. And what they take of their experience varies. But usually people participate with it for more than its single loop, which I think is one of the big achievements. I asked Jesse to tell me about what he's working on now, which led to a fascinating short discussion that encompassed particle physics and stadium crowds. Well, I have a show up in Los Angeles, a solo show at a gallery I, I've been showing with called Five Car Garage. Mm -hmm. And um, that has uh, a bunch of cyanotype prints that I made here and a particle simulation um, uh, that uh, I made with the lab. Um, it's another example of sort of self-other dichotomy um, using large-scale prints that are start as small collages using um, large social gatherings, like often concerts or football games. There's, I think, some Husker collages okay. uh, that take out the center so the, the game is removed mm -hmm. or the mu musician is removed, and it just layers back the audience over the whole thing. It's a very strange thing to look at. It's sometimes a little freaky, but it also turns the lens backwards a little bit on the spectacle of the event, and I sort of ask what we're actually there for, besides the thing, is the collectivity. We modeled the simulation loosely on the physics of stadium waves, hmm. which only takes about 15 to 30 people to incite, but then can transfer to, you know, 100,000. Right. Um, and... At that level, humans are behaving very much like particles. So it has this sort of like meta quality to it. And that ties back to your, your particle project, right? And you're working with a physicist to do some visualization of, I, I don't know exactly what, but some right. sort of particle physics concept. Yeah. That, that's right. We're, so that's another project we're working on was a, through an art, the UNL Art and Humanities grant uh, teamed up with... Um, Keys Uderwal in, um, in the Department of Physics working on um, an augmented reality project using uh, 
subatomic particle animation. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we're plugging in all this math and getting these kind of cool results. And um, we hope to sort of use this in, as an excuse to um, portray an unseen world well beyond our, <laughs> our, our level of resolution. Is that similarity intentional then? I mean, you're talking about particles bringing the unseen world into the seeable world, but also taking a human scale world and equating it back to particles. Do you, do you, yeah, you work with scale, I guess. Yeah, I guess I think it's all, you know, it's, it's all sort of the same ish intertwined different. uh, I guess it's just, I feel like it's, you know, I think there was just, there's just something that, it's driving me around that type of work. I don't know. I can speculate where it came from, <laughs> but maybe it's like, you know, bacterial fauna in your gut helping you decide <laughs> things. I don't know. <laughs> Just accept it and do it, right? Yeah. 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 But, but completely related, yeah. Good, good. For more information about Jesse Fleming's work, visit his website at jessefleming.com and check out our show notes for links. You've been listening to ArtsCast Nebraska, a podcast production of the Hickson Lead College of Fine and Performing Arts at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. This episode was recorded and edited by me, Chris Marks, with technical assistance from Jeff O'Brien at the Johnny Carson Center for Emerging Media Arts. Special thanks to Kathy Anderson and Ella Durham. For more information about the college, please visit arts.unl.edu. Thank you for listening, and remember to support the arts. Mm -hmm.